Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Okay, the panel is poised. The list is uh, now available to the great public. And we are going to start with the world rankings, which were released earlier this week for the best racehorse in the world. Uh, Dave, I'm going to come to you. Uh, understandably, Crystal Ocean is right at the top of the list. I mean, Do you believe in that? There was a small group of people applauding the fact that he topped the list. You were leading it with Sir Michael Sout and the, the lotto. Very admirable, isn't he? But I'd be surprised. I don't think I've got to put a number on horses. That's what handicappers do. But the fact that Enable's number isn't as high as Crystal Ocean's does somewhat surprise me. She's got the chance to put that right, of course, at Ascot in a couple of weeks' time. Beauty Generation in Hong Kong, the world's best miler. I know you, how, how can you compare the yeah. numbers? We've got Winks in Australia. Thunderstone Dubai. My first reaction, was, I mean, we've only just seen, you said the talking points have just been revealed, they've just landed on our lap yeah. as well, which... I was surprised. At the, I was surprised to see Crystal Ocean topping the list as admirable and talented as he is. If you're a big fan of Crystal Ocean, I'm a huge fan of Crystal Ocean, but I'm also a huge fan of Enable. But is it just on that one performance that she's done this year, rather than her overall mm. handicap rating? Yeah. And uh, you know, so maybe his performances have stacked up a little bit higher. I'm ass- I'm assuming at the end of the year, unfortunately, I don't think he's going to be top. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, Charlie, what are your thoughts on Crystal Ocean being the best racehorse in the world? I would struggle to believe that, wow. to be honest, as in much as, again, that I love Crystal Ocean. But I also kind of think, does anyone really care about the world rankings? I don't, I don't know, you know, as in uh, I love Enable. I think, for me, she's the best, so uh, I'm going to go with her. I think, in fairness, a lot of people would agree that Enable is, is the best. But I guess it is nice to have something to equate all these horses together. I know that, ultimately... It comes down to opinions, and no matter what the rankings say, I still will fancy Crystal Ocean. Uh, maybe I wouldn't actually put money on him to beat Enable, yeah. but you know, but, you still also, believe in these. Enable doesn't run as much. You know, Crystal Ocean he is being he just keeps coming out and running and proving himself. So I think that you know maybe he gets points for that. Yes. Well, we'll find out because they are going to clash. Uh, hopefully in the King George. Mm. So that mm. is around the corner. Yes. Mm. Now a horse who could potentially have clashed with them in the King George, and that certainly seemed to be the plan, but things haven't worked out and may not run in the King George, is Massar. Now, this came up earlier in conversation, so I'm going to hand over to Eve for your thoughts on what should happen with Massar. And this is a slightly precarious position for you as a trainer to be in, but what would you do? Well, I mean, if I had their horsepower, I, I would at least try him with a pacemaker. They just they didn't go fast enough for him. Um, I mean, I take Mark Johnson's point. Maybe his horse was the best on the day. I'm not decrying that but what I'm they did not go fast enough he you could see him he was fighting for his head all the way he never got into any sort of a rhythm and you know he needs a fast pace to run at so if you're going to run him again put a pacemaker in Charlie I can I can understand these sentiments completely uh for me I think it's a long way back for the horse right now I mean uh, and hey they've got to do something and so the pacemaker angle probably makes a heck of a lot of sense because he looks a shadow of the horse that won the derby uh, it's two disappointing runs back now He's obviously had an injury and all of that, and maybe we just won't ever see him back to his best. Obviously, the, the line from Charlie Alfie, which you can understand, is it'll be up to His Highness to make the decision. But why persevere? Why not? I mean, he wasn't throwing the towel in, Charlie, afterwards. They obviously still think, from what they see at home, there's a, a racehorse still there. And the Royal Ascot return wasn't devoid of promise. He was out wide in a muddling race at Newmarket, too keen for his own good. I think the next run will be the definitive run. Charlie's initial response was to go to 10 furlongs, which he didn't look like a 10 furlong horse in beating Robin Lyon in the derby, but he looked a rattlingly good colt that day, didn't he? And the form of that's worked out. Like, 
what, why he's got beaten the horse face? It happens. Why, why, okay, because why the thing not give him one more chance? Because to... the thing that wrecks my head is that Blue Point has just won two Group Ones, <laughs> and is at the peak of his powers, and he's retired. And the Derby winner, who's had an injury that's been off the course, has come back and ran okay at Ascot, yes, but then got beaten badly in the Prince of Wales Estates. And he's going to carry on. But should every horse why run badly? We don't know why Blue Point yeah. retired. Yeah, yeah okay. Fair enough. We don't know. Okay. Uh, right. Ryan Moore has been in the news uh, in a couple of articles, a couple of people uh, suggesting that he's not been at his best this year. Can we put that discussion to bed now, Dave? I think he made a great statement to himself, didn't he, on 10 Sovereigns yesterday. There's no doubt he's had a frustrating season in terms of he's found himself on the wrong ballet dial horse on a number of occasions. I think if you look back at the Invest Echoes, the Coronation Cup, the other defeats for Pink Dogwood and Kew Gardens, they would have been very frustrating. But I wouldn't have thought Aidan O'Brien's reaching for the telephone director <laughs> to find other jockeys to bring in to replace him. He's just a phenomenal jockey. Journalists have got the right to ask a question. That's what it's about. And I know Jack Keane, the journalist at Sun Racing, who wrote the initial piece. And that's your job. You have to provoke mm. opinion, provoke debate. And that's exactly what he's done. Is Ryan Moore enjoying a stellar season? No, but it is only July and there's an awful lot of water flow under the bridge yeah is he still a top flight jockey yes is he a worse jockey than he was this time last year no and I think that this story particular story will very quickly disappear but given the numbers the stats that were there at the time he was perfectly right to ask the question Charlie such fine margins at the level that Ryan Moore operates at one way or the other can mean obviously people view it with a negative prism and a positive um your in your opinion Ryan Moore is as good as there is out there oh 100% I mean it's like Unfortunately, well, you're dealing with a guy like he, he rides for Aidan O'Brien. He runs multiple runners in all these big mm. group ones. It's going to be impossible to get it right all the time. Was there a chance maybe the, the race at Epsom didn't quite pan out how he would have liked in hindsight? Possibly. Does that mean that he's a worse jockey now than he was last year? Definitely not. As in Ryan Moore to me is above everyone, and I think he's a, he's a absolute top notch, and we're so very lucky to have him. Eve, you got twelve seconds. He's the best. Why would mm. you put anyone else on? You don't need any more than that. We've got, we've got eight seconds to spare on the <laughs> fact that Ryan Moore is <laughs> one of the best jockeys out there, without question. And, of course, enjoyed a Group 1 success yesterday with 10 Sovereigns. Now, 10 Sovereigns is a three-year-old. Who is the best three-year-old out there, and how good are they, Eve? Well, when we touched upon this, I was suddenly like, Panic attack, I can't remember what won the Guineas, I can't remember what won the Derby, <laughs> but now you've refreshed my memory for me. <laughs> I mean, ten, ten Sovereigns was clearly very good at his trip. Um, Magna Grecia's been a bit disappointing since the Guineas. He obviously went wrong. Mm -hmm. I think Phoenix's Bane was very good in Ireland. Yeah. He, I know from, for a fact he came back and he was lame, he pulled quite a lot of muscles in Ascot. I think, I think he's one to throw into the mix. Okay, no one's mentioned Anthony Van Dyke, Anna Perna. I mean, who's the best three-year-old for you? I think the fact that we are Sovereign. mentioning so many probably shows that they're, they're not a vintage bunch, are they? You know, as in, um, I, I think after yesterday, 10 Sovereigns going to be right up there. I mean, it was the most like, explosive performance I've seen by a three-year-old. And, and, and if he could go on and dominate the, the sprint division now for the rest of the year, I think he, he, he'd be a worthy contender. Because right now, at a mile and a mile and a half, they all seem to beat each other. I think it's a fair bet that the, the answer to the question lies at Ballet Doyle somewhere. <laughs> and I've, I have a sneaky feeling it might just be Japan. Now, I could be made to look very foolish in about six hours' time because he runs in the Grand Prix de Paris tonight. But 
I was very taken with him in the King Edward VII. I thought that was a really authoritative performance. It was a cult that they've always thought an awful lot of. He went to the Dante, he wasn't quite ready. He wasn't quite there in the Derby, but ran a big race. I don't think he took a step forward at Ascot. And I think, because we're going to have to come up with a number, that's like, like the world rankings for the best three-year-old. I think he's got the chance of posting a big number. If he mm. progresses there expecting to and goes and lines up against an Abel in an arc and even shakes it up, finishes second. I think he's going to post a high number. Ten sovereigns is probably the answer, but I think Japan's going to emerge as the best middle distance to your What about two Darn Hart and Calix? Calix is going to come back, and the Calix that finished off last season, the one that won first time up this season, surely there's still a chance he might be the best of the sprinters. Or, or two Darn Hart? I mean, he looked good yeah, again, he did. didn't yeah. he? He did look good again. I, I, I think he's probably not as good a three-year-old as he was a two-year-old. It'd be fascinating um, had he been in yesterday, yeah, in that July Cup. Yeah, it'd be nice to see a, sh- a showdown. Yeah. yeah. Well, we all know Sangaris is going to finish up the season <laughs> as the best three-year-old. It's pretty obvious. Wait till he wins the Sky Bet York Stakes York <laughs> in a couple of weeks' time. Lift yes. off. Uh, next up, pre-race inquiries. Now, Dennis Hogan, uh, Irish trainer, was uh, the subject of a pre-race inquiry, not for the first time. Uh, Dave, in recent times, a few Irish trainers have been... Uh, focus, the focus has been on them for a pre-race inquiry by uh, the, the BHA. Yeah, the, the inquiry is to try to ascertain riding instructions, the plan for the horse that day, and it's often intelligence led from the betting that there's a market move through the morning for a, a horse that wouldn't initially stand out on, on the page as being a, a horse that was going to go five to 5-2 favourite, for example. And I, I can understand why the BHA do it, because I, I think you, you're sort of saying, well, why is this horse being backed, what's mm. the story behind it, what you're planning to do in the race, why have you done it differently to the, the previous three races. But it's, it, it's, a, it's a murky one, isn't it? And I, I don't know how many of these take place. The, the ones that we know about are the ones that are publicised because the trainer's gone to the, the media and said, look, I'm mm. getting sick of this. Every time I come to England, I'm being hauled in before the race and I, I don't understand it. Why is it happening? How often does it happen? What is the trigger for it? Is it mm. purely market intelligence what is the trigger point for these inquiries to take place is it the case that the BHA's hands are tied when they don't know what's going on but there is something that has been brought to their attention they've got to ask some questions why don't they just come out and say that though like as in an actually like you said the only time we're actually hearing about it is when Dennis Hogan or I can't remember who else it was where came out to the press and say I think it's outrageous that I'm being asked to give riding instructions whatever whatever and the BHA to say it's standard procedure. Yeah. But what what is the procedure and why is it triggered? Has this ever happened? Have you ever had a pre-race inquiry? No, I, I never have. But I, I absolutely think the BHA need to be more transparent. They like to, they like everyone else to be transparent, but they're not yeah. they're not keen to tell anyone else what they're up to. And I think that applies to an awful lot of the BHA dealings. Completely. They just need to come out and say we're doing it because we've had intelligence. I would have thought it would more if they drifted rather than be. Back. That's what I would have thought. Why you'd have a pre-race inquiry? Good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, point. Sectional timings is our next subject for uh, talking points. Now, in 2021, the plan is that all race courses will have sectional timing. Therefore, more data for punters. It's going to require, I think, about nine hundred thousand pounds of uh, funding from the levy to get this up and running. Um, at last? Question mark. Yeah, remove the question mark. It, it, it <laughs> is at last. It's, I mean, there will be disagreement. I find it an absolutely fascinating facet to race reading. It takes the guesswork out of what you've just seen. So take the Irish Derby, for example. We were scrambling around to try to work out what had happened, and sectional times would have told you exactly the, the nature of the race and the pace and how what we saw unfolded unfold. I mean, I'm very naive. I'm not 
from the horse back then. I hadn't realised that until a few years ago how it was the fact the horses slowed. I always thought the final furlong would be the fastest and that horses that was visually seemed to be quickening were were sprinting away from their rivals. And it's not most races, it's a question of the horse that's slowing down the slowing down the slowest that wins the race in the yeah. final furlong. But sectional times just leads to a completely different analysis of a race. It, it's a fa- other jurisdictions have it, and mm. we are slightly behind the down. Nine hundred thousand isn't cheap, but I think it will be money well spent from the punters' perspective in particular. Eve, do you welcome it with open arms? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Uh, we've been having the little sectional timey things in the weight weight loss for at least the last year. So I was thought of just someone hadn't actually turned it on. I didn't, couldn't understand why mm. we're, we're carrying mm. them, and then it hasn't been used. Um, 900,000 is probably money well spent. Is it going to come out of prize money? Probably. You know, disappointing yet again. But um, uh, I, I think it's a good idea. I think we need it. Uh, Charlie, for a long time you hear about jockeys saying, you know, people saying jockeys have a clock in their brain. How much will this help them? Well, it might disprove that theory, might it? You know, <laughs> so it could go either way. I, I, I think it's great. I mean, I, I think it's incredibly exciting when you see horse do a sub 11 second furlong or so, and, and, and you, you get to learn so much more. I mean, you know far more than me whether it's going to help punters to back more winners. I don't, I don't know. I don't Will know. it be as useful in jumping as it is on the flat? Question. That's quite an interesting That's a great question. question. Possibly not, but it's, it is mm. very interesting, yeah. Uh, the last subject for discussion is King Power Racing, and there were concerns at the end of last year about how significant their influence in British racing would be this year, but we're all happy to say it's still strong, stronger than ever. Bittersweet day for them yesterday, obviously, but great to see them their investment being rewarded. Absolutely. I mean, on the paper, it was a wonderful day, the three winners, but to lose beat the bank at Ascot, who's been their flag bearer and was so hard and heartbreaking to see. But the good news is they've made that impression at the top table, which is so difficult for a new organisation to do. We've seen people come and go over the years who've thrown millions, tens, hundreds of millions at this game to try to break in at that on that manager. And they have. They've produced a masterstroke in signing Sylvester D'Souza as a retained mm-hmm. jockey. Um, they've got a wonderful ride in place. They've got the horses with some really good trainers. They spread, they spread them around and th- they buy well. They don't just, they bought yearlings, but they're buying horses from other yards still as well. The enthusiasm still seems to be there. And, and it's good to see. Racing needs people challenging. I mean, Kumar are in such a dominant position will be for, for many, many more years. But it's good to see a newcomer to the sport make such a quick impression. Mm. Charlie, it's something that we spoke about earlier this morning. You were saying you know, the strength King Power Racing has added to the season. We, we all want competition, don't we? we, we you, don't, you don't want to see the same faces win in time, in time out. And, and yeah, having King Power there is brilliant. You know, as in a, like, like you said, yesterday was a bittersweet day. Mystery Power looks quite exciting, though. You know, that you've, you've seen the, the tragedy of Beat the Bank, but then this young horse coming onto the scene. And, and like, long may it continue. And I also think it's a huge credit to whoever's buying them and the, the trainers and all that, because, like you say, to have made such an impression at mm. such a high level so quickly is, is impressive. Al Donald, sat for Donald do most of the buying. Yeah, it's Al Donald, and the first year he was getting a lot of stick because he was spending a lot of money, and they were going, you haven't had any Ascot winners. And I remember talking to him, and I said, don't worry. And, and he was, you know, you're not buying mm. now horses, mm. you're buying next year and the year after, and it's been proven, so that's really good. Um, I mean, tomorrow, tomorrow, yesterday would have been awful. There is nothing worse than going back with an empty bridle and walking past an empty box, and my heart goes out to Andy Balding and his team for that. Indeed, we all send our deepest condolences to all the connections or anyone who had anything to do with that beat the bank. A wonderful, admirable, tough and classy racehorse sadly lost his life uh, at Ascot yesterday, and that has been this week's Talking Points. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai.